welcome to First Cope, where we explore public realm art, how it's made, and why it matters. I'm your host, Stephanie Echeveste, an artist and entrepreneur based in Brooklyn, New York. I run Distill Creative, where I curate and produce site-specific art projects for real estate developers. This week on First Coat, we have Sofia Maldonado, an artist based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Sofia has created various projects in New York with the Bronx Museum, the Times Square Alliance, Groundswell Community Project, and No Longer Empty, as well as the Ringling Museum in Florida, Real Artways in Connecticut, the 10th Havana Biennial in Cuba, and many more international mural collaborations. I spoke with Sofia about her public mural work, her studio practice, and how her art style has changed over time. You'll learn about how Sofia does art commissions, her thoughts on community based work and what's inspiring her right now. Here's our conversation. Welcome to First Coat. I can't wait to jump into today's interview. We have Sofia Maldonado here today and she's actually in San Juan, Puerto Rico, yes. which is where she is from, but she spent a lot of time here in Brooklyn, which is where I am right now. And I first saw her work at the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach. I was with my sisters and they loved the wall. And I was like, who is this artist? So that's how I first found out about your work. And I had to learn more. So welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation. Can you tell us about who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Sofia Maldonado. And I am a Puerto Rican artist born from a Cuban mother. So I'm half Cuban, half Puerto Rican. But I, I live in New York for eight years. And mainly my work is based in abstraction, murals, and also canvas work. And I also have another side of my work that is like more fun, that works with the female body and sensuality. And it taps into my Latina roots subjects like reggaeton and trap. So I've done a few projects that are sort of like more drawing and it has a more performance aspect too. So I divide myself in those two scenarios. I am also a professor. I teach in different universities in Puerto Rico, and I am a mentor as well for different type of organizations that work with youth programs. Awesome. Yeah, I, I watched one of your videos with the, <laughs> I think it was like Female Trap, is that yeah. the one? <laughs> Which was so yeah, cool. It's- <laughs> it made me so happy because I really miss going to clubs. Like I haven't yeah. been dancing in a very long time now. And so seeing that and seeing the energy and like the shots you captured was really interesting. Yeah, that's a project that was titled Femtrap. And I started it right after the Hurricane Maria hit the island. Mm-hmm. The island was like totally stopped. No cultural programming, no no water, no electricity, nothing, right? And then once things started to pick up, uh, I decided to launch that project in a very small gallery slash dive bar. Hmm. And it's a project I started a year ago in New York, specifically in Greenpoint. It was a residency I did in a space that's called Green, no, Point Green based in Greenpoint. And Carlo Macor, the curator, was the one that referred me to that residency. Hmm. And it was a very free residency, and that's where I developed the project. I started listening to Hispanic trap, especially women, and I got obsessed with their videos, like their YouTube videos. So I did a huge list of YouTube videos, and I used to take screenshots of the videos to draw them, uh, to develop a series of watercolors. Eventually, when I presented the project, I included 
the videos as a projection. So it was a video projection. It lasted like two hours. It was like a loop. And then, of course, the drawings. When I got back to Puerto Rico, the hurricane happened. And then uh, when things started to pick up, I wanted to, to do an exhibition that had like slightly more party vibe. Mm-hmm. So the projection became sort of like a soundtrack of the exhibition slash party because it was projected in the dance floor. And the, and the drawings had a different space. And that night, we sort of improvised. We, friends of mine and I, um, we transformed ourselves into, I don't know, like sort of like trap culture. <laughs> I don't know uh, what we, characters we could say. Like, um, and then one of my friends had a pole. So we started like pole dancing and like just, doing a very freestyle performance that we didn't even rehearse. Uh, <laughs> and that gave like the, that opened like a new direction for that project. And then along that year, 2018, that uh, project represented different performances. And eventually in November of 2018, the project was part of a special project in Mega Art Fair, which is an art fair that they've been doing now for, I think, like thir- three years in Puerto Rico. So it has its own specific booth, and then I was able to present like a more formal aspect of the project. So I had the drawings, and this time there were more drawings than the prior. There were a more detailed, and I had the projection of the video that documented the project of our performances. And then, of course, I had some merch because I always like to have some sort of like more accessible artwork for younger mm-hmm. collectors or art enthusiasts. Awesome. So, so yeah, <laughs> that was like, a really interesting project. And I do those type of projects and then I go back to mural painting or while doing that, I'll do mural painting. It could be in different art festivals or I do private commissions. So it's interesting to have this duality because it helps me to play in one side, even though it's very formal. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm doing the paintings and I'm working on a more abstract language, I am much more serious and like more structured. So it, it's, it's nice to have that flexibility in your practice. Yeah, for sure. What role do you think art has in public space? Well, it's, for me, it's very important because imagine we live in a city where you're constantly bombarded with like ads right you have billboards you have this subway ad you had like your phone and it it everything is a like visual 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 but then when you encounter like an art piece in a park or an art piece in the subway station or just in the outdoor you know it could be a mural your perspective of your day of your scenario changes you know you have a moment of like admiring an artwork you know that can speak to you and can give you that peace of mind that sometimes we need throughout the day so public art is very important i think it's essential you know between having parks and having art in the city i mean there's no way we could like survive otherwise you know Um, so for me, when I do my abstract work, I always think of that. I would think like 
of the public that would encounter it, how it would like just interact with. Like you say, you saw my work in the Mola and how it like impact you. Imagine before that, that was a wall that was like painted, I don't know, gray, you know? So it's very different uh, in that scenario. Like you go to a museum that has a huge wall painted gray rather than having a huge wall with a really big mural, you know? And it's like, has this Caribbean Latino flow, you know? So it definitely molds the site. So that's something very important for me as well. When I paint, I really think of the site, like how can this piece integrate with the site? Like it doesn't push itself, for example, it doesn't invade a community, you know? I have a project that I did long time ago in Real Artways uh, in Connecticut, uh, specifically in Hartford. And it was a mural piece that was in this street that is very Puerto Rican community, very strong uh, presence. And the mural was going to be mounted on a historic building, so it can be painted on the building. We have to um, build like a structure. And from each window, it was six windows, there were a female character coming out, like, I don't know, like maybe some, I don't know, say hi or... <laughs> And these characters, they were like maybe like three feet tall on wood panels. And in one of my walks, because another thing I like to do when I get commissions, especially community commissions, is I like to walk in the neighborhood. I like to, I don't know, go to the nail salon, go to the panaderia, like to the little food truck. You know, I like to meet people and be like, hey, I'm an artist doing this and that in your neighborhood, you know, um, get to know some locals. So in that trip, I went to the nail salon. And I loved it. And then I told the girls, like, hey, they were artists, you know, their portfolio was like impeccable. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing this project uh, around the corner. I have this wood panel girls. Would you like to pimp them up? And they were like, yeah. So I brought them and I, of course I paid them, you know, like, like they were like clients, you know. Uh, and the girls did their nails. They did like eyelashes, tattoos, eyeshadow. So they like pimped the girls, and then I took those characters and put them on the on the mural. And I think that was a very organic collaboration. But it also included females from that community, so they felt identified with that mural. It's not just me coming to the community and painting and then peace out, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they they were reviewing the local newspaper. So I like to do that type of projects if it's possible, you know? How do you think more artists can make that possible in their work? Well, I mean, that's something I've, I've, I have thought about before, but I got to the conclusion that a lot of artists that work in public space, we don't all have the same priorities, you know? Mm -hmm. Some people love to just paint and not interact with anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not of me to say, hey, you're doing that wrong. You know, I think everybody, every artist has their own way of working. But I always advise, you know, and it's always been in my art statement, I would say the fact that I like to interact with locals. It's important. I, I think it's important to interact with locals because at the end of the day, you are in their space, <laughs> you know? Definitely. I hear what you're saying that some different artists just have different approaches to different things. Yeah, I mean, we can battle all day about it, you know, so, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, we're not going to get anywhere. So I think 
if you're an artist and you can if you can adapt that to your work amazing if you don't feel like doing it then um, I'm I, I don't want to argue about that I'd rather argue about other stuff you know but it's definitely very important I would say like as something that's very important to interact with the community because at the end you're leaving and the piece is staying you know can you talk about your process in doing a public project and also maybe how those projects come about like how do people find you what okay. what do you normally do um how do you budget for that if you're taking time to go on walks or spend time in the community is that something that you build into your fee or is that just something that is wrapped up in what you might charge for something well it depends on what project we're talking usually when you get invited to public art festivals there's like a specific fee Mm-hmm. And usually they are the ones that find you the wall. Mm-hmm. You can have a talk with the organizers, maybe suggest like, hey, you know, I work in abstraction. I need a wall that the person is open to that. If you have a more specific project, you can ask, you know, to get in contact with a non-for-profit that works with, say, example, if I work with women, maybe I will ask like, hey, is there any organization or skateboarding too? I've done that before. like. I remember on an exhibition that I had in the Ringling Museum, it was called Beyond Blame, and it was a group show with Kehinley Wiley, uh, Mikaeline Thomas, and I. And on that exhibition, I had some work inside the museum, but I also suggested the museum, like, hey, if you have a youth program, I would like to work with the community. Will you happen to know there's a skate park around? And they found the skate park. They linked me up with the community, uh, skateboarding community. And then we ended up doing a piece that was painted with different assistants and local youth. And eventually we did like a little skate parade for the little ones because they, there was a law in Sarasota that you weren't able to ride your skateboard in the city. Super weird. But it was nice because, you know, most of these kids have never ride the, you know, have never ride the, the skateboard in the street. So the parade gave them the, the possibility. And then we ended up in the skate park and we had a little skate jam, you know. And that was amazing. And I like to do that type of projects, you know, where I also, su- even though I'm invited for, for a specific project, I also suggest like, hey, is there any possibility to interact with a specific community, you know. Mm-hmm. Then for the private commission, say if a architecture firm or a interior design firm, if we're working with a hotel or like a corporation, something like that, that's very different because there's they are the ones that are in the middle, and they're the ones having the conversation with the with the client. Mm-hmm. So most of the time they look for my work for very specific reasons. So either they want abstraction or they want like more Caribbean sort of vibe. And that's like a back and forth conversation, but it's always very respectful because they already know how I work. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're asking me to do something that's not on my range, you know. And budget wise, also, sometimes they ask me to quote. But most of the time, they already have a budget they're working with. So I sort of manage uh, what's the budget they're working. Sometimes the budget covers only the art. Sometimes the budget covers the art, 
in materials and if there's any other equipment that we have to rent. Um, and of course, um, an extra fee for an assistant. Mm-hmm. So the conversation is always very different. Um, and as for how I organize myself, I do usually three prior sketch. We have a meeting and they decide which sketch they like. I also, prior to the sketch, ask them if they have a specific piece they have seen uh, in my website that are interested. So that way I know where to drive and design the prior sketch. And then once we have those, the selection between the three sketches, then we do like a second round. Sometimes they're like, hey, can you have a little bit of this sketch mixed with this other sketch? And it's funny also, color is very important because uh, some corporations are like, no, we cannot use this color because it's <laughs> like the color of the, of, the, you know, of, the, of the other corporation that is like our enemy. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so we're not using, or maybe the client is like, no, red is not good for my business. So <laughs> in that type of thing, I'm like, okay, so we're not using that color. And then I start sort of like working towards a second sketch that is more in the client's vision. And then we could go to a third sketch, but usually from the second, we're pretty close, you know? Maximum third sketch, uh, I would say, you know? Otherwise, we'll just go forever because with art, you can keep doing changes and changes and, you know, you gotta decide, you know? It's like a tattoo. (laughs) You're getting tattooed or not, you know? But I enjoy, I enjoy either or scenarios because sometimes I I get very inspired from this project, you know? Mm from the discussions and then it also nurtures my next work, you know, because I, I might try a different version or I might try a different use of the colors that I use in that client's mural, you know? So I think everything is like a continuous dialogue. Have you worked on any projects for like, like you were saying an interior designer for an office space or a hotel or an apartment building that, and then did you hear how people interacted with the piece later? Yeah, I usually ask like how it was. You know, I've been working a lot with a, a consultant firm that their name is Turning Art. They're based in Boston. And usually when I finish the projects, I don't have much interaction with the office. But I ask, you know, like, hey, how, would, how did it go? I did another project for the hotel, Dorado Beach Hotel, the Ritz Garden in Dorado, here in Puerto Rico, and the same. Things like, is there any sites where you can go back? It's weird, no? And then you just kind of, just that, that was like their main suite, you know? So it was like a whole house. And Oh, wow. Like inside where someone would actually pay to stay, basically. Uh huh. It was yeah, hmm. so, yeah, and it's like super like I I don't I cannot even imagine how much it's tonight. <laughs> like it's a billionaire thing, you know. But then I I ask because I like to know. And sometimes I don't even know, but I I do think I can see how it shapes the the space. Mm-hmm. Where where you get more feedback, especially when you're painting outside. When you're painting outside, you get people walking by, you know, um, and they talk to you. But when you're doing these projects indoor, you're usually either working at night or working, you know, when there's like nobody around or mm-hmm. it's been remodeled, 
and it's just construction workers. So the feedback mainly comes from, from the designer, you know. Another important thing is that prior to finishing the wall, I have a visit. I have two visits, usually. First visit where I'm like, hey, this is the direction of the mural. We're halfway. Look how it's coming along. And with turning art, they usually bring people from the firm. They do like a little mix of different, from the CEO to the secretary. They do like different, like a mix. And, and they all comment. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. <clears throat> then I'll do the changes. And then I present, hey, this is the change that you said. We're about to finish in two days. What do you think? You know? And they're like, yeah, I love it, or change this, or I don't know, this color is too much. And then I'll do the last, last <laughs> uh, touch-ups, and we're good, you know? And then clear coat, and we're out. Interesting. That's really cool to be brought into different, like, cultures, like company cultures. Yeah, especially nowadays. There's, like, a new scenario in the works space where they're trying to create a more vivid and more fun workspace from what I've noticed. I did another project uh, here in Puerto Rico in, a, in another, like a work space where you can rent, like work rent. Like a co-working? Co-working, that's it. And I, I know the owner and every time she sees me, she's like, oh my God, I love, you know, it, it's, it gave such a different vibe to the office. I also did uh, in New York, I did Outbrain. It's another mm. co-working space. And I, and I can see it, like, it's just changed the whole scenario of the office, of the space. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's very important, you know, sp- especially for people that are, like, more than six hours, you know, eight hours, ten hours, you know, inside an office. I think you really need to have some artwork. Right. Otherwise, you'll go insane. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) just looking at white walls. The only mural I've ever painted, the first one, is in my... It's a shared office space with my fiancé. Like, I have a a studio, and then he has, like, his employees. And I was like, this is a wall. Can I just paint it? Because, I mean, it exists, and it's there. But it was really fun to do. And I did do it, like, collaboratively with his employees, where we went out and took pictures, and then they... Like their favorite photos of the neighborhood and I kind of incorporated it into the piece. And people love being part of the, of the process because then Mm -hmm. they feel like, okay, I, I work on this, you know? And I think it's important for them to be part of the process because then they're going to appreciate it even more. Right. Yeah. And it's so different than like what they're normally doing all day. Just probably even being able to talk to you and giving you feedback on, on your work is probably really interesting. So definitely. (laughs) What tips do you have for other artists working in public space, particularly for someone who maybe hasn't done that much in the public sphere and is right. doing like painting on canvas or even doing like sculpture work in a, in a more fine art setting? Like you want to transition to public art. Um, one thing is transition into public art. Another thing is transition into murals, which I always mm. do separate things, you mm-hmm. know, because public art, it could be so many things. If you're a sculpture, you know, doing small sculpture, you can do larger sculpture, sculptures, you know. As for mural, I would say if you just want to get yourself out there and known, you just got to start DIY. You got to paint as much as you can. Even if you don't get paid, just go out there and knock some doors like, hey, can I paint your wall? 
um, build yourself a portfolio. If you don't, if you don't have murals, then at least you have like some paintings that you can show or drawings or sketches. Mm-hmm. And once you get out there, you'll see like things start to flow. Like I feel like the when you paint in the city or like in an outdoor space, people start to communicate with you and you connect with this whole network of possibilities. You know, you might get like a possible next mural gig. You know. Mm-hmm. Or at least you document it and put it in your Instagram and all of a sudden a mural festival sees your mural and they invite you, you know. So I think don't be afraid. Just go for it. Then as for public art, I would say there you need more funding. There you need more strategy. So it'll be nice to have a more structured idea of what you want and apply for more open calls. I think that's a good start with public art. Because and then you need to know about budgeting and all that, but that's you know you can learn that like online. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of losing the fear. Just get yourself out there and work in new in new scenarios. Are you an artist? Submit your portfolio at distillcreative.com/artist. You'll get on our distill directory, our artist database, and be considered for upcoming art commissions. How has your style changed over time? And can you talk about your move to doing more abstraction? I guess now you're doing both, but... Yeah, definitely. Well, I started at a very young age. I would say like maybe 16. Uh, I was in an art high school, but I started doing murals because I had a lot of friends that were into hip hop. (laughs) And then, of course, they were into graffiti in Puerto Rico. And we started going on on the weekends to paint walls illegally, eventually legally. But I've always painted with latex paint because it's where I found there were like more richer colors. Back in those days, the only spray paint that we could find was Krylon. And it's like the brand that you find in any hardware store. Mm-hmm. Now there's like more graffiti oriented cans, you know, and you have so many colors. But back in the day, we didn't have that. And I'm all about color. So I started painting murals with my graffiti friends. And then one thing that I noticed is that I was not really into creating like square or like rectangular compositions. I was more interested in how the building or the wall look. And I, I enjoyed that rich deterioration that we have in the Caribbean when the cement starts to crack and the building haven't been painted for like 10 years and of course there is so many abandoned spaces especially on those on those days and because now the scenario has changed because the laws of Puerto Rico have changed and there have been a lot of like more international influx but back in the days it was like Zombieland, <laughs> especially the area of Santurce, that's where we used to paint. So my paintings were very organic forms, and they would like wrap around the building. So the structure was very, very important for me, like where I, I the building that I would select. Eventually, I went to, I studied BFA, my BFA in La Escuela de Plástica, which is a art school based in Olsen one very important school and there I started working more with graphic design and I graduated eventually with a BFA of graphic design and then my mural started to get more graphic and my last 
my thesis project was a 112 feet long mural. It was huge. And I painted it only with one uh, scaffold that it was like eight feet wide, <laughs> yeah, like long, uh, eight feet long. And I just move it all the way to the wall. And I had a lot of friends that will help me paint. So I started sort of like shifting and creating like a more of a graphic element uh, while doing murals. And the same thing, being very aware of not having a background. So I would not frame my murals on a background. So I would just kind of like navigate through the building. And that has to do a lot of with practices similar to Gordon Mata Clark and artists that work with the city or artists that were working color field painting. While going to the university, I started to shift, you know. And then when I did my master in Pratt Institute, I had the honor to take a class and also eventually he was my thesis professor. His name is Ernesto Bujol. He's a Cuban artist and he works a lot with performance. But he was the one that teach me how to use my studio, you know, how to have more of a formal approach to painting. Because the first year, I will say semester, in my MFA, I had no idea what to do with my studio because I was constantly painting murals. So I didn't have like a formal studio practice. And then I remember for the open studios, I just threw a punk show <laughs> in my studio. And I guess that's a way of using your studio, no? So space and sight has always been very important for me. Very, I, you know, I, of course I, I can talk about murals, but when I think about murals, I think more like the impact in the space. Eventually, when I graduated, I started working on different projects that were more towards public art, like the one I told you in Real Artways. Then I got a commission in the Times Square Alliance, doing another really big mural in 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. And then I started exhibiting in different museums uh, and galleries, and eventually started featuring my work in art fairs. Another important part of my work is that I interact a lot with the skateboarding scene mm -hmm. because for me, it's a, it's a community that can not only appreciate my work, but they can write over it. Mm -hmm. So for my thesis in Pratt, my MFA thesis, what I did is I went back to Puerto Rico and then I found this abandoned pool in the middle of the rainforest in El Junque. And uh, with a group of friends, we took all the weeds and uh, took all the leaves and there were like plants growing. So we cleaned the whole space and then we cemented it. I paint the bowl, right? And then we did like a skate jam. And then it's beautiful to see skaters just riding on top of your piece, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think something that has always driven me is like, how can my work impact the audience and how can the audience kind of walk inside of it mm -hmm. and on that note on 2015 i moved back from new york to puerto rico and i created this project called calaña and calaña was an abandoned factory tobacco factory in the town of caguas which i transformed into a temporary ephemeral community hub 
Uh, and then on that project, I painted the inside of the factory rather than the outside. The main piece was in the inside and it was like floor, ceiling, and walls. So when you go inside the, uh, the piece, it was like a huge, huge factory, abandoned, nothing inside, only like columns and, and blocked up windows. It's beautiful. Like I have it in my, in my website, the whole documentation. And eventually, one of the photos of that piece was exhibited in the Whitney Biennial as part of Occupy Museum's project on 2017 that it talked about the debt, the student loan debt and mm. artists that had debt with Banco Popular, <laughs> like me. Uh, and especially that Project Calaña was oriented and was done while the economic crisis in Puerto Rico in 2015, yeah, that we had like a big crash and there were a lot of abandoned buildings. And the idea of that project was to suggest how artists can take over these abandoned buildings and create them into a more useful scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. Also using abstraction in mm -hmm. space. That brings up a lot of questions. I've, I've seen these <laughs> projects on your website and they're amazing. I mean, they're part of why I'm so excited to talk to you because I think they're really, they're inspiring to see in that you've taken initiative to actually like find spaces and then collaborate with people, but also logistically, they probably had some headaches like insurance, yes. access, safety. Yeah. I don't know, just like all these things that become more difficult. I think there's the route of just the DIY, like finding space and doing the project and then documenting it and then you get more projects, but then that inevitably brings about more problems <laughs> because then if someone's commissioning for a project, then it's like, but also you need insurance or also you need to like do this yeah. and that and that. So like, it's, I think that's what's interesting to me about your work is that you continue to go back to find new avenues to explore new spaces, regardless of anyone asking you to do it, basically. <laughs> it seems yeah, like- I, I do. I definitely live by the DIY, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, flow. And the DIY, like you were saying earlier, like if you're a young artist or if you're a studio artist, like, oh, I want to get out. You can't really wait for somebody to be like, hey, I have a commission for you. You mm -hmm. got to do it. Like you DIY it first and then see what happens. You know, that's how the abstract paintings, when I did that shift of like, I was working on the female characters still while in New York. And then I decided, it was 2000, I think 12, that I decided to do like a change, 2012 to 2013 probably. I already had like a, like a follower of clients that were really into my figurative work. And I said, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to paint more girls, you know, at least for now. I thought it was going to be forever, but it, <laughs> nothing is forever. <laughs> and then I shift to, to abstraction. And of course, it hurt my, my career for a minute because people were like, she went crazy. And that's another thing. You can't really like drive your career because of you have some like clients that, you know, you don't want to confuse them or you have like uh, established like line and you don't want like the art market to whatever with the art market, you know, like let them follow you, you know, mm -hmm. follow them. So when I switched, of course, I was like few, maybe like three years of like, wow, nobody's getting it. <laughs> but the important thing when I did the shift is that 
I was very specific. I had like a very specific language. I study a lot. I study Katerina Gross. I went to Berlin. I study Morocco. I I study a lot of. I was like, if I'm gonna transition, I'm gonna transition very serious. You know, this is not like me going crazy. And even though I had a a vocabulary, I was like, I don't want to call this pieces murals. They're interventions in the space. You know, and I didn't want it to use the word graffiti or mural or like, you know, I wanted to use like a whole different language. And I would educate people and be like, hey, you know, no, 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 no. This is not a mural. This is an intervention in the space. That's why I'm like spraying the in the wall in the ceiling in the floor you know mm -hmm. um and i would talk about color field painting and and then people start to be like okay she knows what she's doing mm -hmm. and nowadays i feel like very comfortable working sometimes very figurative right and i have all this work that's about centrality and now in the pandemic i'm working more towards digital this whole side of like femininity, women and characters I'm creating. And then I have the other side of abstraction that has been fitting very well in different private commissions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that started so anarchic, all of a sudden, you know, you can, I have like, a, there's a, a hotel here that the lobby is like a huge abstract wall that I did. It's called Serafina Hotel in Condado. So it's interesting how when you give it time and you keep pushing and pushing, then all of a sudden, a market opens, you know, and understands that shift that you did in your line of thought. In regards to your abstraction work, what feeling do you want people to get when they either walk in it or on it or buy it? Well, it depends on this, on the scenario, but I always go back to the idea that I feel abstraction gives you a moment to just use your imagination, right? Because you're not seeing something that you can recognize visually. You're just seeing paint and color and drips and I think that's that's where every human tunes in with your inner self you know you you have you don't you're not nobody's telling you what it is you don't have like a previous reference to it so it's like a meditation even if you are like not meditating in front of the mural if you're walking the stairs and you just saw like a, a, a glimpse of it you know I think it definitely impacts your subconscious and like I always say abstraction is an expression of the heart you know it's very pure do you keep a sketchbook i do um but i usually my sketchbook is more for writing i would say when i do the murals or i do like sketches i've been using a lot of my ipad because i can just do like a really quick sketch or i can put the photo of the space and then paint over it and i can see how it looks you know but more my sketchbooks are more for writing and just ideas and just like kind of letting go like thoughts and that helps a lot too but most of my sketches for the past i would say maybe five years have been like more digital interesting what do you use on your iPad? Are you, are you using like Procreate? I use a program that's called Procreate, yeah. For now, it's been Procreate and it, 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 it helps. But then I also have, usually when I go to residencies, uh, I like to work a lot on, on gouache, acrylic gouache. And then that's another very intimate part of my creative process. When I want to start something new, I go back to the gouache because it's smaller, you know, and it just, it tunes me in with a different side of me, you know. It goes back more to the roots, you know, to mm -hmm. feeling 
not so digital. But right. then, you know, most of the sketch, again, go back to digital because it's easier to send to the client and it's just easier to visualize the whole project when you can just drop in a photo of the site. Right. Do you send full renderings? If you're commissioned for a project, do you send them a rendering? Say you've gone through the first sketch and the second sketch. When you say sketch, yeah. is that a rendering with color or is it more of just the concept? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah no, it is, has color and it's as similar as it could be to the idea. But I always have a disclosure for all the clients that it's like, it's abstraction. And remember, this is a digital sketch and I'll be working in painting. Very different uh, medium and a very free medium. I mean, there's gonna be some drips that I can really probably like uh, manage in a digital sketch. And there's always uh, a conversation that happens when I'm painting with the wall, with the piece, that is definitely not happening in a digital sketch. Mm -hmm. So there's the freedom a, and there's a, an understanding that that client needs to have when he or she encounters the final piece. And that's why while I paint, there's like two visits, you know, to the site. But when it is a mural festival that you have like you're free to do whatever you want usually right unless you have a a wall that is of a small business and they're like very like no i want to see this you know but otherwise in mural festivals there's like more flexibility you know um and you can that's where i usually do my most uh anarchic kind of projects you know for example i did a really really amazing huge building in a festival called Beyond Walls in Lynn, Massachusetts. And there I had like freedom. But I know that the client had an agreement with the festival. Like, I think they have to have like two, two years to leave the, the building like that. And eventually they had freedom to erase it. And eventually they erased it. But uh, but it's just nice. It's like really nice to have those uh, small projects where you can just be super free. And s most of the time, those free projects are the one that nurture the more corporate projects because you know the client can have that project as an example. Mm -hmm. So everything starts to feed. It's like a like a chain. You no, know? everything feeds itself. And some of the works like like this one in studio. I could start a piece like that and eventually this piece inspired a mural that I painted in Woodwood in Miami. So yeah, sometimes the the murals and the abstractions in the space inspire the canvas work and sometimes it's like the other way around. That's interesting. So there's like a back and forth dialogue between work in your studio, work in physical space, and then work that might be commissioned because they've seen something else you've done. Yeah. Are you a real estate developer looking for a unique amenity for your site? Get our free guide, 10 tips for commissioning a site-specific artwork at our website, distillcreative.com. I want to ask you some questions about how you maintain relationships and also when you're collaborating, if you have any tips. <laughs> on a video for that I, I saw on YouTube for Sonica Feminista, you say, maintain very clear communication so I don't get run over about how you maintain your leadership on a project. What other tips do you have for other artists or 
organizers who are leading and particularly if they are not a man leading in the space? I would say as for collaborations, just always have to be very clear where everybody stands. If it's a project that you're working and you're inviting people to collaborate of it, or if it's a collaboration, hmm. which is, uh, is uh, I've, I've learned that the hard way. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you are working on a project and you invite people to collaborate, but then they think it's a collaboration between both of you and that's not the case. The case is like my project and you're collaborating with me. It just clears everything so people don't feel like they're being run over, you know, or they're being disrespect. You know, I think those lines have to be very clear. I'm not part of any collective. Usually when I've done things are more like that, like we're two artists and then we collaborate. I recently did a digital collaboration with a friend of mine called Radame Juni Figueroa. He's like a really well-known artist and we are like really straight about it, you know. Um, we did this digital design together and for example, if we're going to use that design for a different purpose, then we have to talk about that. And as for projects that are being run by women, I would say um, sometimes us women, we have to level ourselves to, to have better communication because sometimes women can be very competitive between themselves, you know, mm. and, and, and we need more like sisterhood, you know, we've got to create that. Because I feel we are in a man's world and we've been trained to always be like defensive and always be like, I don't know, not so supportive of each other. So I think that's something that we have to learn in order to, to help ourselves to keep growing, you know, not see the other person as somebody that can be a, a menace, you know, more mm. of a woman that you're like empowering so we can both grow together or you know evolve in the project so yeah definitely more sisterhood <laughs> women we need to take take on roles that you could feel in the beginning intimidated because there's a lot of men but you know it's like anything else you grow and you learn how to navigate you know all men world without having to not be yourself you know i think clear communication and just not double think yourself mm -hmm. Perhaps not be super bossy, be more like, listen to people, you know, step away a little bit from your ego and step away from the scenario like, ah, I am a woman, I'm Latina, and this is why all this stuff happens and I have a wall and I'll never make it. If you think like that in the morning, then yeah, of course you will never make it. So be positive. I think be positive and, and stay tuned with your nature. That's really good advice. I think especially with the sisterhood, not competition, particularly with mural artists, there are so few female identifying mural artists who get seen, even though there might be a lot more out there, which is something that right. I think is really bizarre still when I look at who's getting certain work or commissions or who's being kind of celebrated. It's always, it's still kind of like, oh, and these are the women doing it instead of just having yeah. them within the fold. Actually, yeah. talking about that, I'm going to send you a link of an organization based in Argentina that a friend of mine, she's one of the founders, it's called Amura. And they have a very interesting approach empowering women that are mural painters. Hmm. It's an organization that they're like, trying to open the market of either public 
or governmental commissions of women artists in Argentina. So they're very well organized. And I feel a movement like that can definitely make big changes. If we had similar movements like that, I think we can eventually do more of a change. I have a, another friend, Erin. She's a muralist in Los Angeles. And she started another group called When She Rises. It's not only for mural painters, it's more for female artists. And they do different festivals, different exhibitions. So, I mean, definitely there are different women that have targeted and have created this space mm -hmm. uh, to give more of a voice to women. I'm all about those uh, projects, but right now, the only project that I did in a similar scenario was Femtrap, mm -hmm. where I collaborated with younger uh, painters and performers that were formerly my prior students. Mm -hmm. And so when we did these performances, they were invited to exhibit and they were invited also to do their performance as part of the collective Femtrap. But after that, I been mainly focusing more on painting and more in my studio work. So I admire the women that, you know, have like this more formal projects that, you know, they dedicate like time of their of their life, you know, to, mm -hmm. to make that more of a specific change. My perspective has always been more like when I teach, I love to empower the women in my class. You know, I talk to them very straight. Maybe I'm a little bit more rigorous with them because I want them to, you know, have that hard skin when they get out there. Everybody, I feel, empowers the way they feel they can, you know? Right. However <laughs> they can jump in. Right. Yeah. What's something you wish you had known when you had first started being an artist professionally because I know you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I think I would have loved to have mastered more photography, huh. being able to document my own project, my own pieces, rather than having to have like a third party because it would have saved me a lot of misunderstandings and I'll probably have a better hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> with my earlier work, you know, because I have some work that has like been lost throughout hard drives and, and computers, you know, like have more of that documentation mm -hmm. and more straight. But other than that, I think it's been a, it's been a nice ride, you know, it's been a nice ride of learning experience throughout the years. What are some resources that have helped you along the way? Well, I love reading biographies. I love documentaries on artists i love like anything like art 21 example that like, they go to artist studios and they ask them very specific questions and you get a glimpse of their work scenario or maybe their daily a day with an artist i like those and interviews like i when i teach i tell my students if you want to get good say at a specific subject and you feel you you have found an artist that it's been working in a similar pattern or similar thematic. You should just devour anthropophagia with that artist, you know, like just like eat it, you know, everything that you can. And then you just spit it out <laughs> on your own terms, you know, because that's the, that's the, that's a way of learning. You know? Like you, you can just try to understand that artist or that master or that 
subject that you want to develop so you have to really focus on it and if you can see like documentaries interviews podcasts whatever you can just the more information you have on you it's going to be the easiest to deconstruct and then create a path for yourself is there anything you're reading or watching or listening to right now that's been inspiring you well i recently read the Georgia O'Keeffe biography, and I loved it because she spent like most of her half of her life in isolation. You know, when she she had her studio in New Mexico in the middle of the desert. Now we're here in the pandemic. Like, oh, I have to be in my house, and it's <laughs> haven't even passed like I don't know, like a month. I mean, now we're more than a month. But imagine, like, she will go. Of course, she's in a beautiful scenario. Yeah. But the idea of isolation, you know, like sometimes I'm, I'm really all about isolation. I love being on my own. I love having time in studio on my own, you know, even though maybe I'll listen to a podcast. But I love that time. Like, and I think if you're an artist, most of your artists could tell you about that time where you're like alone and like things start to like, and all the, all those ideas and like all the insecurities and securities and like ideas and it's like a, a new like a world all of a sudden you're in your world right and I love that and then when I read her biography and I'm like of course like no wonder her work is so solid she was like three months without seeing a human being in the middle of the desert that's what everybody should do you know like you should just go three months every year to the middle of the desert and then you'll see your imagination and your psychic is gonna like elevate you know there's no way <laughs> so i, I want to read it now you should yeah I'll, I'll send you a screenshot of the it's a, it's a small book uh, because i don't like biographies that are like a bible you know like i'm like 500 pages i need like yeah i need like a more reduced and fun quick you know biography also i like a lot looking for quotes like say i've been reading a lot of octavio Bass. Mm-hmm. quotes and they're so in tune with what is happening right now so i love to find things from the past that relate to the to the actual moment and you're like yeah no wonder it's a, it's a cycle you know life is a cycle and then i think once you get that that smooth ride you know when you understand that it's a cycle okay sometimes you're feeling good sometimes you're feeling bad and then you just don't go all the way in the depression no so yeah. it's just like yeah, tomorrow i'll probably feel better you know and i think that helps a lot especially when we are in this times that when we have this is we don't know where where things are going you know we don't know when we'll be able to live a new normal scenario when we're going to be able to travel you know even taking the subway things like that i think it's important to be more aware of how our mind you know works and how that affects our physical body which is what happens when you're like in studio by yourself as an artist you have all these thoughts you have all this mind work and then eventually you just like just projected into a into a piece of art, you know, that has a concept that, uh, and then you have to explain where that concept came from. So yeah, so I would say those are those are my I don't know my feedback to everybody in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely link to them in the show notes so other people can check them out. Sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for for the interview today. Do you have anything else you want to share? Right now, I have a piece coming up in Boston uh, with Turning Arts, but I have to figure out, you know, travel logistics, which 
I guess we're on hold for now. And I have another piece coming up in Puerto Rico that it was going to be a mural and now it's going to be a digital mural. And that's very, very different. It's, it's going to be like a very new path. And I am very excited to start working on it. So it will be some sort of like a wallpaper, but rather than having like a repeating pattern, it will be like a whole Oh, and it will be my first mural design uh, on a digital platform. And then it will be printed and mounted up. And I, I'm looking forward to that. One of the good things that the new normal <laughs> has brought to, to me. Other than that, I've been working in my studio, the more digital drawings. And I might have like a, I might release them on my birthday on July 17th. But mm -hmm. I'm still debating what I'm going to, how I'm going to show them and all that. Because... They're more like on the side of the female characters. Hmm. So let's see how that goes. Where can we find you online? Well, I have an Instagram account. It's Sofia Maldo, S-O-F-I-A-M-A-L-D-O. And uh, my website, sofiamaldonado.com. And I also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook, but you can find that throughout my website. Perfect. Thank you so much for the interview. Yeah, thank you. This was, this was so nice to talk to you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of First Coat. If you like this podcast, please leave a review. Make sure to subscribe to the First Coat podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at First Coat Podcast or at Distill Creative. First Coat is a production of my company, Distill Creative. Check us out at distillcreative.com.